Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, March 19th, 2018. So close to having a unified theme. Didn't quite pull it off. <laughs> Bummer! It's like not winning prophecy bingo! Ah! Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up that Bible of yours. Yeah. Open it up and compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers Self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's teaching, that's put forward by these people... It's not biblical, it's not what God's Word says, it's not what Christians have historically believed, taught, or confessed. It's like nothing even remotely close to that, and it's definitely not stuff that people believed and then were martyred for in the history of Christianity. No, a strong delusion has settled on much of the church as it continues to rebel openly against what God's Word says, what God has commanded, and has instead replaced what, uh, well, God's word with the teachings of men. Yeah, and the vain imaginations of really weird, wolfy people. <sighs> All right, so let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Now, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, unless I say otherwise, is a, an, an episode that has a unified theme. Mm-hmm. I generally try to get all of the horses, you know, pulling in the same direction or every one of the oars, you know, pulling at the same time to, you know, to move the program forward. I generally, but not always, I generally do not state what the theme is. I oftentimes will leave that up to you to figure it out. Today, so close. <laughs> Just so, 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 so close. Yeah, well, it, this this episode might as well be We've got a theme except for one segment. It's like, can you guess which one of these things doesn't belong to the theme? You know, it's kind of like that game you play 
from Sesame Street. One of these things doesn't belong here. You know, one of these things is not the same. Yeah, kind of that episode. So <laughs> with that in mind, let's talk about what we're going to do with this episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're going to be listening to a uh, uh, some audio of a recent video posted on the Elijah List YouTube stream, and it's uh, uh, James Gall being told or telling us, you know, what's ahead for the church. And this is one of those things where if you had a prophecy bingo card, which you could easily find at FightingForTheFaith.com, when you go there, there's a search bar right there in the front top middle of the of the window. Type in bingo, and you can uh, grab one of our bingo cards via our Prophecy Bingo Card Generator. And if you had you know, a Prophecy Bingo Card, you could see that uh, what James Gall is engaging in is saying nothing while spewing kind of the standard set of um, prophetic buzzwords. Yeah, prophetic buzzwords. Now, from there, we are going to head to... Uh, down to Sydney, Australia, to Hillsong Church, and we're going to listen to Brian Houston, and we're going to listen to Brian Houston not only twist, and I mean this, not only twist, you know, a portion of the Old Testament from Second Kings chapter 3, but if he were just reading the text ahead of actually attempting to preach on it, he wouldn't have made one of the mistakes that he made. This is one of those... Uh, boneheaded moves on the part of uh, pastors, preachers, and teachers, and vision-casting leaders, and others that we're noticing more and more, is that they're making no effort to actually preach the text. They will not read it out. They don't attempt to exegete it, and it's as if they didn't even read it ahead of time. They knew what their point was, and they're going to go ahead and make their point. And, uh, And in making their point, they actually say things that the text doesn't say or say things that the text says the opposite of. Yeah, it's really, really weird. So the the name of that message is Digging Deeper from uh, Brian Houston. Then we are going to uh, head to uh, Bill Johnson's Bethel Church in Redding, California. And we're going to listen to a very fascinating twist of Scripture in order to try to make the case that the written word of God is not sufficient. You will literally hear Bill Johnson give all kinds of laud and praises and and express an extremely high opinion of the written word of God, but then twist a sentence from Romans chapter 10, And in twisting that sentence, try to make it appear that that verse is referring to hearing an audible voice from God or a direct revelatory word from God when it doesn't. Like, it's like not even close. Then to round out hour number one, uh, we're going to stay at Bethel Church and um, and, uh, we're going to be listening... Uh, to a uh, recent, in fact, this it was just yesterday, um, Georgian Bonoff uh, appeared at uh, Bethel Church, and he engages in a very subtle error, very, very subtle. This is kind of a, a very fascinating twist, and it's an entomological error. 
which um, he's going to claim that the word baptizo, which is where we get the concept of baptism, that because it appeared in the ancient world in its first ever appearance, it referencing pickling, it, which is, I've tracked this down, it's, it's historically accurate, that when the New Testament talks about being baptized, that means that God wants to pickle you. You're saying, no, no. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, that's really what he's going to argue. But see, this is an entomological error, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a subtle twist. Hour number two, we're going to head down to C3 Church, San Diego, and we're going to listen to Jurgen Mathesius. And um, boy, you know, the the name of the uh, the sermon is the Impossible Exchange, and. You would expect with that name that we're going to hear clear proclamations of the gospel, the doctrines of original sin. He's going to be right there in 1 Corinthians 15. But he so badly twists this, you know, every text that he touches that we don't... The best way I can put it is is that all of the error distracts from any of the truth that he might give in the sermon. So I think you get the idea. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground to cover. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Uh, Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. All right, so we're heading over to the YouTube channel of the Elijah List, and we're going to listen to a, ni- a 2018 prophecy that, uh, while well, James Gall claims that he received directly from God and is supposed to have all kinds of, you know, for now prophetic significance, uh, here's um, uh, James Gall and uh, the Schultz guy from the Elijah List. Here we go. Shift again okay. and. and- one of the things you came here to tell us is what is God showing you for 2018 right. for the nations, for the for yeah. the body of Christ. Go ahead and tell me what tell the viewers. What yeah, uh, be, I'll share in part. We know in part. We see in part. And right. even the best only prophesy in part. By That's the way, right. okay. So this year on the Day of Atonement in September of 2017, I had an electric empowering experience in the Holy Spirit. Mm, electric. All right, so he had electricity and power experience thingy in the Holy Spirit. Wow, okay, that's shocking. You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. 
And what happened was I'm asleep, but I have a electric power surge that hits my body. It goes, it rivets through my entire being. And I hadn't had something like this happen since some of the height of the Toronto Blessing. Mm. So, I mean, it's been 20 years since the Toronto Blessing. And everyone's expecting now with the death of Billy Graham, you know, uh, that we're going to, well, revival's going to go off the chain. The, the Joshua generation, Joel's army is about to appear, you know. I had a lot of that activity then. I've not had something like that for like maybe almost like 20 years, folks. And so anyway, speed it up. And so this surge of like power, it felt like a lightning bolt hit me. And with that then, I'm but I'm asleep. My whole body is hit by a power surge. That's important to language, to understand. The whole, I'm a parable. Yeah, you the are. whole body was hit by okay. a power surge. Okay, so you're not wanting us to miss this. That your no. whole body, meaning the whole body. I'm. It was body for me, but it wasn't just about me because I'm a parable, and it's a word on the shepherd draw. So what happened to him is an actual parable that uh, relates to the entire body of Christ. At least that's the claim that he's making. Of atonement for the body of Christ. There you go. So there is coming. I'll interpret. A surge, and it was short. These surges can be short, but it was a power surge. It hits me, and my whole body is just like riveting under the presence of God. But what it did was this. Talk about different realms of the prophetic. It activated the river of God. Wow, the whole river of God was activated. I don't know what that means, but it sure sounds important and stuff, you know, because the river of... What is the river of God activation exactly? Oh, this manifested power activated the river of God, and I'm still asleep, but I am now prophesying out loud. I wake myself up by hearing my own voice <laughs> prophesying in my bedroom, and I had flowed in that years ago too, and and then and then now the room is charged with the manifested presence of destiny. So I hear. Oh wow! The whole room is charged with the manifested destiny thingy. Oh that yeah wow! We've been waiting. What exactly is that again? Myself start in a dream, a power surge comes, I have a quickening that activates the river of God, I'm prophesying, and now here's a key word, I was awakened. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Consider my mind blown here, because he's a living parable here, you know. Another key word, I was awakened. So, I believe prophets will be awakened. Uh, see, because he was, that means prophets are about to be awakened and stuff. Uh-huh. I believe the prophetic movement is going to be almost like as though 2.0. Prophetic movement, 2.0. That's where we're at. And then I hear myself prophesying, and it was amazing what I heard. I heard this. These are the days. I It was... By the way, I can be really calm <laughs> and not intense. And then sometimes I, I'm not, I go from Clark Kent to Superman, like in a <laughs> second. Okay, so, 
And this was so intense. It was like a roaring lion. And I hear myself and I'm saying, these are the days of the beginning of the days of acceleration. Oh, wow. Finally. I mean, you know, do you know over the years how many so-called prophecies I've heard say that the days of acceleration are coming? Acceleration is one of the major buzzwords of so-called prophets and prophetesses today. And so, oh, oh, finally, the days of acceleration are upon us. They've been saying that for decades. I say it two or three times. And, it, and it's like, it's per, those words were permeating my room. The words, I'm hearing my own self prophesying this. And it quickens faith in you. But it was this. These are the days of acceleration. So then I studied the word acceleration. Okay, so you jumped out of the, you got out of the, yep. Yep. the flow. You're now awake in the, in the days and hours and days ahead. Now you're, this is part of the learning process. And part of the interpretation, you, you, go, you go to the dictionary, you go to Google. That's exactly right. And then I searched up. Yeah, what did Google say about acceleration, man? I, I, I practically have goosebumps listening to this. doesn't mean anything. These words are totally empty and meaningless. And stuff. Okay. And so I start looking up definitions of the word acceleration, which brings me to the word momentum. And it actually, acceleration, one of the key uh, Webster dictionary issues, illustrations they use, is about race cars. Right. Yeah. You know, race cars. That has to do with acceleration, man. Yeah. Uh, this has got to be God, right? And it compares two different types of race cars to where one can be like moving along like real fast. But then there's another one. I don't remember the names right now. That it hits a what? Power surge. Okay. And it, it No. Just like you experienced in your body. Wow. Uh-huh. None of this means anything. Then it accelerates in a second. And it goes, zoop. And it goes. And it went, zoop. Oh, see, that, that has to be the Holy Spirit. Because, you know. It's the Holy Spirit who goes jute. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm so excited. Notice they're not pointing us to anything Jesus actually said. Ask the other cars. And it's momentum. We're in a time frame where things are going to quickly gain momentum. I want to, you know, I'm taking this parable and yeah, you're, saying, exactly. you're saying, listen, folks. I woke myself That's up. right. And I'm going, okay, so the body of Christ, first of all, they find stuff coming out of their mouth that they don't even realize they're prophesying. Not that unlike the first story. That's right. And they all of a sudden they wake, they wake or they wake themselves up and they go, I'm prophesying. And, and the body has got to go through an awakening. Yes. Yes, and, after the surge acceleration thingy. So then she, the body, wakes up and, and starts, what am I doing? And they, they go, God, is God up to something? This is basically, I mean, I can see the... It's basically gobbledygook. What does any of it mean? None of it means anything. And that was just a spewing and linking together of a really long chain of so-called prophetic buzzwords. I think you get the idea. All right, moving along, we have a Hillsong update. Let's do this. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. 
praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. It's not the Sermon on the Mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest, he'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD, just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Moolah, solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid people. Christianity, yeah. Whoever said religion should be free. Yeah, that's right. Praise the Lord and pass the tithing bucket. All right, so we're heading to Hillsong Church. We're going to be listening to a portion of a message from Brian Houston named Digging Deeper. If you want to open up your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3. Three, we're going to take a look at a story that, well, sadly, Stephen Furtick has made popular. But as we listen to Brian Houston attempt to preach on this, he's going to actually engage in spewing a factual inaccuracy that doesn't jive with what the text says. We'll point it out along the way. Here we go. You guys can all be seated. So I started... But the theme there is more by talking on living larger. There is more living. You got to live larger, man. Yeah, there's more. You got to live large. Then there is more expecting greater. And today. Yeah. So, yeah, since there's more, you should expect greater, you know, because there's more. It's kind of a little different, but I want to speak on there is more digging deeper. I believe God wants us to dig deeper. And I want to start in 2 Kings, where it's talking in the times of Elisha. So God wants us to dig deeper. This is what he believes firmly. God wants us to dig deeper. Why? Because 2 Kings chapter 3. Okay. And God speaking through Elisha and bringing a word of the Lord for people to start digging deeper, to dig ditches. It's in 2 Kings chapter 3. Verses 15 to 17. And listen carefully, it says, Now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. So that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. The Bible says that they wouldn't see any rain. And they wouldn't see any wind. And though the riverbeds were dry and the cattle and the horses, the animals had no water and the people had no water. Without any wind, without any rain, the word of the Lord is 
that I'll fill this valley, this low point with water. I believe it's the will of God to fill your life with living water. Um, Okay, there is an actual biblical text that talks about Jesus being the living water. So that's found in the Gospel of John, but this is 2 Kings chapter 3. So if God wants to fill my life with living water, what, Brian, do you think I need to be doing so that I can, I can have that experience? Waters of healing, waters of restoration, streams of God's given strength and streams of fulfillment where perhaps at one time there was only a sense of emptiness. God, but you have to dig deeper. So, the w- But I have to dig deeper. Now, this is where a little bit of knowledge about what's going on in 2 Kings chapter 3 will help us out here. Because you're going to note, he jumped right into the middle of the text, parachuted right in at verse 15. That's a weird place to start in the middle of a historical narrative that's actually telling a story. So let's apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. So 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Now, Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. He had to deliver to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So then he said, by which way shall we march? Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, Yahweh has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of Yahweh here through whom we may inquire of Yahweh? So then one of the kings one of the one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the the uh, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of Yahweh is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. This would be the prophets of Baal. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is is Yahweh who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And then Elisha said, As Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, Were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of Yahweh came upon him. And he said, Thus says Yahweh, 
I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says Yahweh, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of Yahweh. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop up all the springs of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning, about the time of the offering, the sacrifice, Behold, water came from the direction of Edom until the country was filled with water. When all the Moabites heard that the king had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the border. When they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood, and they said, This is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now then, Moab, to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward, striking the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. And they stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees till only its stones were left in Kir Harasheth. And the slingers surrounded and attacked it, and the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him. He took with him seven hundred swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. And then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came a great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. There you go. Now that's the story. And you're going to note... Um, from the ESV, there is no digging of ditches, and the water showed up all on its own. It's like it rained in another region, and the water traveled through one of the wadis in uh, in Israel, and then filled up the stream bed. Yeah, that's what happened in this in this story in this account. And you're going to note there's no mention of you being required to dig deeper in order to have living water in your life. Nothing like that is mentioned at all in this text. So when we come back from our break, we'll uh, listen to uh, Brian Houston, you know, kind of finish up his twisting of this text. And uh, we're going to note that uh, basic, basic error, if he had just simply read the text, he wouldn't have said some of the silly things that he says in the sermon. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. More of Brian Houston, and then we're going to head to Bethel and listen to Bill Johnson and Georgian Banoff. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
a large non-fat decaf mocha with no whipped cream two pumps of chocolate and diet soy milk for Tiffany oh actually it's just Tiff oh uh, sorry uh, Tiff then like thank you so much I've never made a drink quite like this before I can't even imagine what you call it my friends call it like the why bother but it sure doesn't stop me from loving it <laughs> Nice talking with you. Adios. I am so sorry about that. Anyway, where was I? All right, so you won't believe what happened to me on Sunday. So, like, you know how I've been trying to learn more about Jesus and God and stuff? Well, ever since I got into it, my friend Brittany has been begging me to go to her church. It's that big building on Michigan Street... It's got, like, a stage and a praise band. I mean, it's got, like, a ton of people, so the pastor must be pretty cool, right? Well, the sermon starts. I've got my Bible, my notebook, my pocket catechism, and my flower pen. All ready to hear about God. And what does he talk about? A bird. This guy went on some 20-minute bunny trail about a bluebird that landed on his windowsill. And I'm just sitting there like, what about Jesus? I mean, they had just had a laser light show about how much they loved him. Um, Hold that thought. I have to use the little girl's room. I'll be back in a sec. So Jeff said, wrecked him, wrecked him, you practically killed him. (laughs) Oh, I am so sorry. I've accidentally dumped my white bother all over you. Your outfit is totally ruined. Here, let me use these only slightly absorbent napkins to wipe it up for you. All right, use that. A little bit there. And uh, there. That seems to have gotten most most of it. Here's my business card if the stains don't come out. I happen to own and run a dry cleaner's just down the road. Anyway, gotta run. think these people realize what Jesus did. Let me explain this to you. So, first of all, I'm like a sinner, and I need forgiveness, right? So God was like, I'm going to send my son. So Jesus came, and he got on the cross, and everybody's sins were forgiven, and we were all like, cool. So when I go to church, I want to hear about Jesus. But for some reason, these people don't even talk about Jesus. You know, if you think about it, the church is like totally God's house. So Jesus invited all of us to his forgiveness party, and we all shut up and said that we loved him, and then we completely ignore him. That is so rude. Not only is it rude to God, but it's a total ripoff for me. I want to hear about how my sins are forgiven. But instead, these people are like, let me tell you my life story. Um, excuse you? You think that your birds are more important than God? That is so rude. Honey, what happened to your shirt?
Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that many of the most popular guys out there should be avoided because they're Bible twisters. And the reason for that is that they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other one says become a patron. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button 
Or you can do it the traditional way. Make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to Hillsong. We're listening to Brian Houston supposedly preach on 2 Kings chapter 3. We just read the story in question in context. And let me back it up just a little bit, and uh, we'll continue listening to him so that we can remember the context. And we're going to point out the, like, egregiously obvious false statement that he's about to make. Here we go. That I'll fill this valley, this low point, with water. I believe it's the will of God to fill your life with living water. Waters of healing, waters of restoration, streams of God's given strength and streams of fulfillment where perhaps at one time there was... Streams of fulfillment. Not sure what that is. Um, Does it have anything to do with activating the flow of the river of destiny thingy? (laughs) We continue. A sense of emptiness. God... So you have to dig deeper. So, Yeah, you got to dig deeper. That's a little bit of an alarming statement. The word of the Lord was for people to dig ditches. And the scholars would tell you that there was no rain, but they found water because all they had to do was dig down through the sand four foot. No, um, scholars won't tell you that. Uh, biblical scholars will say the digging ditches translation, bad translation. And uh, the ESV gets it. They didn't have to do anything. God just promised to fill the pools in that area with water, and it showed up all by itself. That is what it said. And they would hit rock. And there, where the rock was, the water was already flowing. The water was there. They just had to dig deep for it. I wonder in your life, what water is already there. You just have to dig deeper. And what would make you dig deeper in life? And whether you are digging for the right things or digging for all the wrong things. You see, sadly, some people, the way they live their life, they're just constantly digging a hole for themselves. Make foolish decisions, make further foolish decisions on top of the silly decisions they make. Hold on to things, still upset about what that person over there said about you and still living smaller than the big things God wants to do rather than bigger than the small things that seem to rule your world. We can spend our lives making choices and decisions and holding on to attitudes. That- None of this has anything to do with Second Kings chapter 3. And Second Kings chapter 3 did not require them to dig down and tap water that was uh, subterranean. That's not in the text at all. And if he had read it in context, he would have seen that himself. So one of his major points isn't even valid. It's not even what the Bible says. Causes to dig a hole while other people are digging a well. Where they find fresh water, new water. More of God, more of the purpose of God in their lives. What are you digging for? Some people are digging for dirt, not just in other people's lives, but in their own lives, always bringing up all of their failings and their weaknesses. And they dig for deep when other people are, in fact, digging for water. Some people, it's like they constantly dig up the past. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I think you get the point. I mean, this is just absurdity. And the reason why it's absurdity is because he's his main point isn't even based on what the text says. So point number one is a point that he just made up that isn't even in there. And it's now the application is, what are you digging for? This is just absurdity. Moving along. The truth is out there somewhere. But it's not at Bethel Church, Redding, California. We're heading over to listen to the Apostle Bill Johnson. And uh, he's going to have all kinds of positive things to say about the written Word of God. But he's going to take a biblical text from Romans chapter 10, rip it out of context, and make it appear that it is teaching that we need to hear directly from God. Let me back off on the music. The truth is out there, like I said, but it's not at Bethel. Here is Bill Johnson. I believe so much in the study of Scripture, being a study, student of the Bible. In fact, let me just say, biblical illiteracy in a generation that wants miracles makes them vulnerable for false signs and wonders. The answer is not to avoid the miracles. The answer is to become a student of the Word of God. All right, so you don't want to be susceptible to false signs and wonders because you're biblically illiterate. That's the setup for this teaching, okay? So we would expect that what would come from Bill Johnson next would exemplify not biblical illiteracy, but the exact opposite of biblical illiteracy. He's going to demonstrate what it means to be a good Bible exegete, right? If that's what you think, you are going to be highly disappointed. We become students of the Word of God. We read, we devour, we pour over Scripture, we memorize, we do all those things. We find the things that we don't understand. We ask questions. We're in a relationship where this, this, this Father who spoke His Word into the hearts of people, and it became written in Scripture for us to study and to read. He gives life to us from those things. I believe so much in the study of Scripture. But from the study of Scripture, He speaks yet again. And he makes certain passages, certain thoughts, ideals come alive. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of God. It does- now, there's the verse. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, let's go into the biblical text from which it came. And let's take a look at what it actually means in context. Applying our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start at Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Romans 10, verse 5. The verse in question is a little bit down from here, but let's keep this in context. Moses writes about the righteous, that is the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments, continues to do them, shall live by them. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So our context is talking about actual salvation. 
For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is talking about salvation. So then Paul asks kind of the important question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Mm -hmm. So Paul here is saying, hey, there's the only way that people are going to be saved is if they hear the word of Christ, which is the gospel. This is in the context of of missionary work, of going and preaching the good news so that people can believe in Jesus, call on his name, be forgiven, and saved. That's what this passage is about. But what Bill Johnson is doing here, he's already begun to twist this because he's ripped it out of context. And uh, he's talking about how biblical illiteracy could cause people to believe false signs and wonders and stuff. Hmm. I mean, faith comes from hearing the word in the sense of written scripture. If that were the case, let's just all get a Bible program. That okay, re- now let me back this up because watch what he's going to do here. He's going to argue against hearing the voice of God in the Bible using that, that passage. So I'm going to back it up a little bit farther back so you can hear it in context. Watch what he does. Certain thoughts, ideals come alive. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of God. It doesn't mean faith comes from hearing the word. In the sense of written scripture. If that were the case, let's just all get a Bible program that reads scripture to us 24 hours a day. Let's just keep it going in our household. And we'll all be like Wigglesworth by Friday. Yeah, isn't that weird? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ is in the context of saving faith. Of evangelism. What is he talking about? We'll all have the faith of Paul and Jesus eventually by next Friday. You know, the, the point is, it's not by just merely hearing with the ears. It's hearing with the heart, the voice of God who imparts his own confidence in his purpose and in his will. Oh, man. So he took this text as a, is about evangelism, ripped it out of context and is pouring new meaning in it. And saying it doesn't mean that you can have the faith of Wigglesworth, who is a complete fraud. Um, uh, And by merely hearing the written word of God, that means you have to hear the voice of God in your heart. That's weird, because the only people who would believe what Bill Johnson said there are those who are biblically illiterate. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is take the words of the text, put them back into context, and you can see so clearly that this Romans 10 is talking about saving faith and those who need to have the good news of the gospel preached to them so that they can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. 
Wow. All right. We're going to stay there at Bethel. And uh, Georgian Banoff, uh, husband of Winnie, who I think has completely lost her mind. Uh, Georgian Banoff uh, preached there yesterday. And uh, wow, he engaged in a fascinating twist. And this is what we're going to call an etymological error, et- etymology, talking about the, the origin of a word. And let me explain how the error works so that you can kind of get it. And that is, is that if I were to say, you know, and this isn't a true story, this is just kind of an example, that the very first time that the word up appears in any English manuscript, it's in reference to somebody vomiting, throwing up. So therefore, that means today when anybody is using the word up, they're they're referring to people vomiting. You'd say that's absurd. That's ridiculous. To which I would say correct. And what he is about to do is this is the equivalent of that. Now I tracked this down, did some work with uh, some Greek lexicons and some you know uh, some lexicons that work with like the ancient Greek. And it, there is a ca- case to be made that one of the very first times in in ancient Greek manuscripts that the word baptizo appeared is in reference to making pickles, mm-hmm. pickling. And uh, I, yeah, I'm not making that up. Uh, here's, uh, here's one of the resources I found. The clearest example uh, showing the ancient meaning of the word baptizo is from a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 B.C., and its appearance is it's from a recipe for making pickles, and it's helpful uh, because it uses both words, bapto as well as baptizo. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. So it's one of the early instances of the word baptizo. However... Does that mean that when the New Testament, 200-something years later, uh, uses the word baptizo, that that means the word means to be pickled? Was John the Baptist John the Pickler? Answer, no, not at all. The idea is, is that words oftentimes have multiple definitions, and the definition always is going to be dictated by the context. So going back to my original metaphor here, that uh, you know, if, if it was true that the first time that the word up appeared in the English language in, in any ancient manuscript was in regard to vomiting, in other words, throwing up, does that mean that every time the word is used now, the word up is used, that we are in fact making some allusion to vomiting? The answer is no. Same thing here. Um, so baptizo, it could mean to dip, to immerse, or to submerge. It could mean to cleanse by dipping or submerging. It can also mean to wash. It could also to mean make clean with water, to wash oneself, or to bathe. It could also mean to overwhelm. And it can also, in some of the ancient classical Greek manuscript, mean to pickle. Okay? The question then is, what does it mean when it appears in the New Testament? Did 
you know, that Luke, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record for us Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where, where you know, people are cut to the quick, convicted of their sins by the preaching of the Apostle Peter, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? Did Peter say, repent and be pickled in the name of Jesus? Is that what he meant? Answer, no. That doesn't make any sense at all. But listen to uh, Georgian Banoff, because what he's going to do is engage in an etymological error here uh, in, tele- in, in part of his sermon from last night at Bethel Church. Here we go. Get that, but I was not baptized in his death. No, you were. That's what the Bible says. So I studied the word. Lord, I explain to me. So I'm studying the word, and I find out the word baptizo is not a religious word. Now it is, but back then it was not. Listen to the complete and utter chaos there. People are laughing uncontrollably. Yet one of the, you know, literally one of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. People there have no self-control at all. Used in religious ceremonies like baptism, it was used in a cookbook. Uh, particularly a recipe for pickling. Now, I'm not making... Now, this is true. This is true. If you study the word, you're going to find out it was used exactly 200 B.C., 200 50 BC, something like that, for the first time in literature. Like, I know, because I have Bible translators, I hired 27 of them to do a Bulgarian translation, New Testament. So, these guys are intense. They don't read Bulgarian. They read only ancient Greek. That's it. They eat, drink, sleep, ancient Greek. They read not just ancient Greek Bible, but everything in that era. They read every literature they, they can find and, and understand. So, so they find out that the word baptizo, it's it first used in the literature for a recipe for pickling. Oh, so it's not a washing. That's just the outward demonstration of what we... So because they discovered that one of the earliest instances of the word baptizo was used for pickling, therefore it means it's not a washing. Uh, wrong! <laughs> That's one of the valid definitions of baptizo in Koine Greek. Uh-huh. Going back, if if the very earliest instance of the word up was always in regard to vomiting, does that mean that from now on, whenever we use the word up, we are talking about vomiting? Answer, no. We were pickled first in his death. I got to back that up. This is just absurdity. This man has no idea what he's talking about. And he's teaching nonsense. Of course, that's what they get there at Bethel. And the people there are slurping this up like it's, oh, this is the best meal ever. And this is pig slop. Not a washing. That's just the outward demonstration of what really happened. We were pickled first in his death. (laughs) I'm not... Joking, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but it, it, it is true. And, and so what really happened, I don't know if you know about pickling. We tried pickling in my host town. We pickled cabbage. Oh, boy. Stay away from my house for a while. It was like, woo, smelly. We didn't, we mixed, missed something in the recipe. We didn't write the cabbage start to stink and explosions. And we had to take it to the garbage dump. I'm giving away our, our family secrets here. But anyways, you got to know what you're doing. 
You can't just pickle randomly. You got to know how to pickle. So my grandma was an excellent picker, uh, pickler. She would take a whole bunch of cucumbers that I don't like cucumbers, but I can't wait for her to, to, to pickle. And what she does, she gets the water with the salt and vinegar and garlic and dill and, you know, the bay and leaves spices, you know, and, and she just heats it up. That's, that's the fast way. There's even slow way if you just kind of leave them in the sun for a while. But the fast way, I like it because quickly you can get the pickles. And so, so she gets these cucumbers and poof, puts them into that salty and everything, vinegary stuff. And within minutes, right before your eyes, they change. Those cucumbers just they curl up, they change, the color change. And, and mostly the inside, if you take one, and it's changed. It's not like the cucumber. It's salty and sweet and sour and just delicious because they're pickles. Now, I don't know how grandma did that. But I've never seen anybody take pickles and make them into cucumbers. You know what I mean? You get it? It's irreversible change inside the cucumber. Inside the cucumber. It's changed. It's changed. It's changed. It's changed. <laughs> Wow, that's just bizarre. Whoa! Woo! These guys are the, the picklers. Uh-huh, yeah. Pickle theology here. I think Georgian Banoff is in a pickle. The John the, the Baptist, John the Pickler. These are the picklers. John the Pickler, uh-huh. These are the prophets of the new generation. Whoa! And what I'm trying to do is pickle your brain at this moment. I would agree. And that's what's going on there at uh, Bethel Church. Their brains are being pickled in some kind of demonic brine that is causing them to literally lose their minds and they're not being taught sound doctrine at all. These are not manifestations of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, These are demonic manifestations at worst and just, well, manifestations of human insanity at best. That's the best construction I can put on it. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're heading to C3 Church, San Diego, as we listen to Jurgen Mathesius really, really mess up scripture. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. 
If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. All right, let's do this right. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, San Diego. Jürgen Mathesius presiding. The name of the sermon, The Impossible Exchange. Now, with a title like that, you would expect that, well, what we're going to hear is about how Christ takes our sins upon himself and bleeds and dies for them and propitiates the wrath of God being our substitute, uh huh, and that we, when we're brought to faith in Christ, are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I mean, when we talk about the great exchange, that's what this is. Now, as we listen to this sermon where he begins with a perfectly good text in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the problem is going to be is there is so many errors that he spews that anything good that he says is buried under the dirt of the false doctrine and the Bible twisting that he engages in. So if there is anything good in this sermon, it's being mixed with so much bad 
that it's still a toxic concoction. That's kind of the best way I can put it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Jürgen Mathesius and his sermon, The Impossible Exchange. Here we go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, do this with me. Do this with me. Take your left hand. Reach over your right shoulder. Pull down and click. Tell your neighbor, buckle up, Dorothy. Kansas is going bye-bye. Tell the other neighbor, but you better buckle up. Give someone a high five. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. You may be seated. Can we thank the musicians and the singers again? I thought you guys did a fabulous job. Deshaun and beautiful Augusta and McKenna, my favorite, and Jasmine and just the great team up there. You guys were awesome. Absolutely fantastic. The title of my message tonight, we're going to jump straight into it, is The Impossible Exchange. The Impossible Exchange. Uh, I've been saved for 32 years. I've been reading the Bible for 32 years. If you would have said, you've been reading the same book, yep, for 32 years, yep. I've got to tell you, the, the story tonight, the message tonight comes out of a passage I've read. I can't even tell you how many times I've read this story. And uh, God spoke to me and said, do you see me in this story? Do you see Jesus? Do you see salvation? And I'm telling you, I, I honestly would tell you. I don't... So God spoke to you and asked, do you see me in this story? Which is weird because Jesus makes it clear that Scripture is about him, and I didn't need a direct revelation in my heart to, say, to learn that. I just learned it by reading the Bible. Religious bone in my body. And then all of a sudden I felt I was blinded by even religiosity that had crept in. Because to me, even God speaking that seemed anathema. Seemed like it couldn't possibly be. So let me pray. And uh, we'll get into it, the impossible exchange. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, and I ask that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, I, I preached it twice today, and neither, neither time did I feel that like I delivered it to them the way I heard it from you. So help me tonight, Father, to, to speak it to these beautiful people, that they would begin to see a glimpse of the gravity, the majesty, the wonder, the awe, of this impossible exchange. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Now, we're going to do some heavy upfront Bible reading because I've got to kind of put it in context. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 in the NIV. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 in the NIV, the NIV, the nearly inspired version. Says, so it is written, the first Adam, the first man Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life giving spirit. The first man Adam became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, the second Adam is Jesus. There are only ever two human beings born without, our sin, without a sinful nature, only one born without a belly button. Adam didn't have a belly button, Jesus did. But both of them, they're the only two figures in human history ever be born without a sinful nature. So the Bible calls Adam the first Adam, but it calls Jesus the last Adam or the second Adam all the way through the scripture. This is really important. 
So now let me, let me go back. In Genesis chapter 1, it was God's idea to create man. And he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Verse 27, God created man in his image and his likeness. And then Genesis 28, and the Lord blessed them. And the Lord blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Everyone say increase. God wants your life to increase. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to prosper. I just need you to settle that. Yeah, so notice twist number one. He started off with a perfectly great text, but Genesis 1, 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, is about human procreation. It's not about God willing for us to increase, you know, in possessions and things like that. No, this is about... Well, procreation. That's what Genesis one twenty eight is about. You know, for 12 years, we've kind of kept a little bit of heat now, but now just, ba-ding, ba-ding, they just kind of bounce off. So I couldn't, couldn't really care less because I know what the Bible says. So, you know, Pastor, you preaching that prosperity gospel. Uh, all I know is the gospel and it's full of prosperity. Uh, so, the, so increase means prosperity, not human procreation. Sorry. That blessing is about procreating, not about prosperity. It's full of prosperity. So this is, this is before Adam has graduated from Harvard. In fact, Harvard didn't exist. This is before, you know, Aaron, uh, Adam, before Adam ran with Leanne in a marathon and completed a marathon. He hasn't, he hasn't completed a marathon. He hasn't, you know, qualified for the Olympic Games. He hasn't gone to the Winter Olympics and done the... Sweeping game. He hasn't done anything. He's just kind of just breathing. And God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. God's will, God's intention is for you to increase. God's intention. Yeah, no, that's not what Genesis 1 is about. It's about human procreation. So major error here, complete twisting of God's word from Genesis 1 and an open admission on his part that he's preaching prosperity. But your life is for you to flourish, for you to prosper, for you to expand, for you to be fruitful and multiply. But here's the key. God gives you the power and it's his blessing. God wants you to live with his blessing. Now, how many people know that God sticks Adam in a garden and tells him you can eat of all these trees except for one. One tree's my tree, don't eat of it. He's got thousands of trees to choose from, but what does he do? He eats from the one that he's not meant to. So in Genesis 3.17, the Bible says, God says to Adam, because you have done this, watch this, cursed be the ground. God couldn't curse Adam because God blessed him. Did you see that? Genesis 1.28 and God blessed him. God cannot curse what he has already blessed. God doesn't bless what he's already cursed. All right, so, so let, me, let me help you. God is the most powerful being in the universe, and yet God is a respect. If he has blessed something, he will not curse it. So even though Adam, even though man sinned, God said, cursed be the ground for your sake. So the ground is cursed. God wants you to live with blessing, but now there's a, there's a curse in motion. There is a curse in operation in the earth. You, you hear this when people say, man, life is just difficult. Man, life is a constant struggle. I feel like I'm taking two steps forward and one step back. 
Maybe there are people watching online and this is like a, your testimony. It's like, man, I just, no matter how hard I try, it's never enough. It, no matter how many raises or promotions I get, there's always something that goes wrong. The, the engine blows up on the car or a tire explodes or something always goes wrong. There's a, a leaking pipe or the roof or something. There's always something. Extra money comes in and it goes out as quickly as it comes in. I just can't seem to get ahead. Sometimes it can feel like life is against you. Well, the Bible teaches us that there is a curse in play. There is a curse in play. The Bible does teach us too that, uh, that the curse can be overcome. I'm not sure if you realize that. Really? How does it teach us that the curse of toil can be overcome? So the reason that we preach tithing. Oh, I see. So if you tithe, then you can overcome the curse and you can be prosperous. No text says this. And Pastor, you preach tithing because that's how the church funds itself. Because without the tithe, you can't pay the bills. And while there's an element of that that is true, the, the, the reason that we teach you to tithe is because the Bible says that when, when we bring the first tenth, when we put God first, God says this. He says, test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not throw open the windows of heaven. Yeah, the tithe is a Mosaic covenant command. It is not a new covenant command at all. Nope. Pour out such blessing. Now he's cursed the earth. He says to Adam, because you've sinned, cursed be the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles it'll produce for you. And out of the sweat of your brow and out of the labor and toil, the earth will yield to you its increase. So God says there's a better way. And I used to live with... 100% of my Now, I thought that Jesus bled and died for us. He became a curse for us so that we can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So he's literally saying that the curse that uh, humanity is under is overcome by the tithe, not by Christ. This is blasphemous. He's teaching for shameful gain things he ought not to teach. Come fighting a curse, wondering why I could never make it, wondering why I could never pay my bills, wondering why I could never get ahead. Then I come into church and some some pastor up here had the audacity to tell me that I could go further on 90% than I couldn't if I wasn't making it on 100%. But then as I began to read the scripture, he says that me putting God first, me bringing the first, me bringing the 10th opens the windows of heaven. So I don't got to look to the earth that is cursed, that has got toil, that has got labor, that has got thorns and thistles. There is a new flow. And the God says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. There's not room enough to receive it. Now, I've got to tell you this. For 31 and a half years, and it took me about six months to get there. For 31 and a half years, Leanne and I have been faithfully tithing faithfully tithing because I've seen God with 90% of my income with the blessing of heaven. Do you know the Bible says Proverbs 13, 22 is the blessing of the Lord that makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. When the blessing of God is upon your life, there is a power. There is a supernatural power. Now, the reason God says, I'll pour out so much blessing, there's not room enough to receive it is because in your life and my life, there ain't meant to be room enough to receive it. You and I are meant to be blessed to be a blessing. David wrote in Psalm 23, he anointeth my head with oil and my cup runneth over. When he writes that my cup runneth over, it's not that when God starts pouring, it gets distracted. 
It's not that God likes stained tablecloths. I think I'll just keep pouring till it spills over and stains the tablecloth. The reason that his cup runneth over is so the people with empty cups can bring their cup and get filled up from your overflow. And then they begin to say, how come, how come you all got this? Where'd you get this flow that your cup runneth over? And you can say, it's because the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lay down in green pastures." No text teaches this. Not even one. He is totally just deceiving these people and they're all falling for it. Oh yeah, I can tie that's an easy thing to do. By the way, let me uh, tell you what scripture does say. Proverbs chapter 30, starting at verse 7 says this, "Two things I ask of you, Lord, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches." Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Mm -hmm. As Christians, we do not desire wealth. We do not seek after wealth. In fact, there are clear passages of Scripture that warn against desiring to be rich. And uh, that's not what we as Christians are to pursue at all. In fact, the passages on this are extremely, extremely clear. Uh, I'll give you another example. First uh, Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Let me open this up in my Bible. One Timothy six, specifically verses eight through ten. But uh, let me read this in context. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy, saying, as a pastor, you need to do these things. So here's what pastors are to do. Teach and urge these things. Verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and his teaching, uh, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, and it's not. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Christians instead, then, are taught to be content content with what God has given them, and to rejoice in what God has given them. And here's what the Apostle Paul, writing in Philippians chapter 4, specifically uh, in uh, verses, I'll start at verse 8, but the the verse I want to get to is actually in uh, 13. Here's what it says. Finally, brothers, 
whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have heard and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's right. I can do all things through him who strengthens me is in the context of learning how to be satisfied, content with what the Lord gives you, whether you have a lot or a little, whether you are in need or you have plenty. And so what Eurgamatesius here is teaching is utterly blasphemous and contrary to Scripture. The idea that the tithe would overcome the curse from Genesis 3, not Jesus, is utterly blasphemous. This man desires to be rich. He thinks that godliness is a way of of financial gain, and he's teaching for shameful gain things that he ought not to teach. And rather than inculcating in the people there at C3 Church godly contentment with what they have, he is teaching them that it is godly to seek after and to desire wealth when Scripture says the exact opposite in 1 Timothy. You can begin to testify... That God is good. So we see that there are blessings and cursings in in operation. The next thing that we begin to see is we begin to see that that there is is a disqualification. My, My humanity disqualifies me from divinity. People say, well, you know, I think that I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as that guy. And we can all think of that guy. We can all think of some... Now, this is the part where he's going to wander into some stuff that's true. But he's already mixed it with so much error, we've got a big problem. Jack the Ripper kind of guy. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. And, you know, and, you know, that's kind of a little bit of a gamble. Like, you know, if you're in line getting into heaven and you're waiting, you know, Judgment Day and you kind of can see Peter up there and you're like, oh, you know, okay, won't be too much longer now. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Jack the Ripper guy's in front of you because you look so good. <laughs> but, you know, if there's this short little lady this high in front of you and you're thinking, you know, past the time, I might as well introduce myself. Hi, you know, my name's Jürgen. What's your name? Teresa. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and what did you do on planet Earth? Oh, you built orphanages in Calcutta. Oh, sugar. You're not Mother Teresa, are you? Anybody want to change places? No one's going to change places in the line with you. First offering in the Bible was Cain and Abel. First murder in the Bible was Cain and Abel. The Bible says it comes to pass in the fullness of time that Cain brings an offering to the Lord, watch this, of the first fruits from the ground, the fruit of the ground. Abel doesn't bring anything from the ground. The Bible says Abel goes to his flock and he takes the firstborn lamb and he brings it to God. Both men bring an offering. An offer is just an offer. It doesn't have to be accepted. And God looks at Cain, says no. And he looks at Abel and says yes. And the blessing of God comes on Abel, but no blessing on Cain. 
yet Hebrews chapter 11 explains for us why that is the case. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 11.1, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In other words, Cain did not have faith. Abel had faith. That is what commends us to God. That's what Hebrews is saying. Not the sacrifice but the faith. Because the earth was cursed, and Cain was making a statement before God that I can produce in my ability, in my strength, something that pleases you. Not exactly. No. You're going to have to go with Hebrews 11 here, and that is is that Abel had faith. Abel said, I realize no matter how hard I try, I cannot attain perfection. A sacrifice must be made in order to please you. So we see this in play. We see this in play where the the older brother, Cain, and the younger brother, there's a conflict. And all the way through the Bible, the younger shall rule over the older. It's because the second Adam, Jesus, will fix up the mistakes of the first Adam, Adam. This is all the way through the Bible. Now come with me to uh, one last scripture, Genesis 25, 28 says this, it says that Isaac loved Esau because, everyone say because, because he ate of his gain. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau because performance-based acceptance. Rebekah just loved Jacob. Now come Genesis 27. This is the reading part and then I'm going to unpack it for you. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, And his eyes were so dim that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he said, Here I am. He says, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went out into the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I'll make savory food from them for your father such as he loves." Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I'm smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be seen, I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Now let me just kind of stop there. So Esau, his name means red. When he was born, he was red and hairy. Possibly the first of the Scotsmen. Esau, red and hairy, aye. And he was a hunter of of fine game. He went out into the field and he hunted with his bow and arrow and his weapons. And he'd shoot pheasants and duck and 
venison, bring it to his father. And he'd say, Father, I've made something for you. And his father would say, oh, that smells good. What is it? What do you call that? It's haggis. <laughs> what do you do with it? You eat it. Ooh. And so, you know, so, so this is... So the story goes on that Rebecca says, no, no, no. Bring the two young goats. I'll prepare them the way your papa likes them. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the skins of the goats and I'm going to stick it up your sleeves. And I'm going to put it on the smooth part of your neck. And so Jacob does that. And he goes in before his father. And his father Isaac is sitting there and he can smell the food. And, uh, and, and Jacob says, here I am, father. I've brought the food. And he says, wow. How did, you, how did you catch the game and prepare it so quickly? And Jacob says, well, the Lord was with me and gave me favor in the field. And so I've brought it to you. And uh, Isaac says to him, who are you, my son? He says, my name is Esau. And he says, come closer. Let me feel you. When he comes closer, he feels the skin and it's rough and hairy. He says it. The skin is Esau, but the voice is Jacob's. So the Bible says he eats the food. And then one more time, he says to him, are you really Esau, my son? Jacob says, yes, I am. He says, come close to me that I may smell your clothing. As he comes close, he smells his clothing. He says, it's the smell of my son Esau. Now watch what happens. In verse 27, and he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and of plenty, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Watch this. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son, excuse me, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I, I ate all of it before you came and I've blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, oh my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing." And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, by the way, this is probably one of the longest portions of Scripture that I've ever heard Jürgen actually read out. So you got to give him props. At least he's reading the text. Yeah, that that's something that should be commended. <laughs> you know. As, as a step in the right direction, the problem is is that uh, he's already mangled God's word terribly and is sending kind of confusing messages. 
Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I've made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I now do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted By the way, this is the type of blessing that has to do with the line of the Messiah. God rejected Esau even before he was born and chose Jacob to be the one through whom the Messiah would be born. That's what that blessing has to do with. His voice and wept. I've been reading the Bible for, like I said, 32 years. And I've always seen this as the negative story that it is. And then just a month ago, as I'm going through my one-year Bible, I read this. And God speaks to me. And he says, do you see? Claiming direct revelation here. So this is a uh, direct inspiration interpretation. How powerful this is. And I'm like, well, it's quite negative. And God says, no, no, no. He says, it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of the Father and it's a picture of Jesus. And if I was honest with you, I'm like this, yeah, I don't think so, God. And then he had to show me. And so I'm going to show that to you tonight, the impossible exchange. So let me just say a couple of quick things. Uh, The Old Testament In the Old Testament, you and I could attain blessing by what we do. The Old Testament Testament was all about the law. It was about keeping the law. If you obey these commands, if you keep my commands, says the Lord, if you obey and observe my statutes, then... Yeah, those are the requirements of the Mosaic Covenant, which is a covenant regarding staying and living in the land of Israel under the theocracy of God. Faith is still required for salvation. This is why Hebrews 11 makes it clear that all of the patriarchs of the Old Testament were commended before God by their faith, not by their works. Their works flowed from their faith. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11. Blessing shall come upon you. The whole Old Testament was about what you did, was about doing. How many people know that your Bible has two parts? You have an Old Testament, you have a New Testament. It wasn't like God kind of, you know, got through the Old Testament and thought, yeah, you know what, Um, Gabriel, this, I got a new idea. We had to have the Old Testament. We had to have God's law. The Old Testament is about God revealing his moral law. God had to do that. If I I got pulled over by the cops on the way and the cop goes, listen, I I pulled you over, but I just feel merciful. I'm going to let you off. And I'm like, but. Well, I wasn't doing anything. Well, you could have been speeding. And if I'm like, well, what's the speed limit here? Well, we don't really have a speed limit. But you know what? Tonight I'm feeling gracious. I think I'll just, I'll just pardon you. I'm like, you ain't pardoning Jack. You're wasting my time. Why did you pull me over? But now if I was doing 180 in a 25 and he pulled me over, and I should be going to jail. And he pardons me. How many people know I'm going to be incredibly grateful? And he showed incredible grace. You, you, you can't have grace unless there's the presence of law. Now, this is most certainly true. Both law and gospel are words from God. And God's law, according to Romans 3, reveals our sin and our need for a Savior. The gospel doesn't make sense without the law of God. 
can't have mercy unless there's the presence of truth. So the reason your Bible has an Old Testament is because God has to show you that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard I strain and I press and I persevere, I cannot, I cannot attain perfection. I cannot produce the righteousness that allows me entry into heaven. Again, truth. But there's so much error already in this sermon that we're sending all kinds of mixed signals. And there's enough heresy in here in this sermon that this is a toxic sermon, even though there's truth in it. No matter how hard I try, I was born with a sinful nature. I've got four kids. I never had to teach one of them how to lie. They just, they just developed it naturally. I didn't, I didn't have to teach one of them. Now, this is how you don't share. I didn't have to teach one of them. Now, when you get in the car, invade each other's space. And while mum and dad are trying to drive and talk, poke each other so that a fight ensues and you begin to scream in the, he touched me, he touched me, and, and fight while we're driving. Create chaos and havoc in the car. Best to do it on the way to church so that I've got to pull the car over, rip the back door, pull you out and paddle your little backside while I'm waving to people on the way to church. I'm beating my kids and I'm the pastor. See you in church. Yes, I've got a beating for, no, I don't have a beating for you either. I didn't, I didn't have to teach my children how to throw a tantrum in the, in the Ralph's checkout line. I want candy, I want candy. I didn't have to teach them that. I didn't have to teach. I didn't have to learn how to do wrong. We're born with a sinful nature. So therefore, perfection is something that is impossible. That's the whole reason for the Old Testament. But we have Cain who is sent out into the field to to produce something. Cain is indicative of the Old Testament. Sorry, Esau is indicative of the Old Testament. Esau. Because the Bible says that Isaac loved him because of what he brought from the field. Old Testament. Jacob represents New Testament unconditional love. Unconditional love. Now watch that. Yeah, no, that's going to fall really far short of a right understanding of the story of Esau and Jacob. But ironically, he's kind of working with proper categories, but he's not connecting them properly. God wants you to live under his blessing. The blessing of God is is his spirit, his anointing. When the anointing is present, natural laws are superseded. (sighs) And now he just fell on his face. He doesn't know how to properly connect scripture because he's a false teacher and his prosperity preaching is getting in the way of a proper understanding of law and gospel sin grace repentance and the forgiveness of sins yet he is wrestling with the exact categories he ought to be wrestling with when the anointing of god rests on your life When the blessing of God rests on your life, you can live above natural laws. 
When Jesus walked on water, he was living above because the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing this sounds a lot like a canonic Christology, which would be a false Christology. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. When Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, he, he, the anointing always supersedes natural laws. When Jesus took five loaves and two fish, Scott Sorensen, and fed the multitudes, is because the anointing supersedes natural laws. When we move- No, it's because Jesus is God in human flesh. That's the reason why. Sydney to San Diego and they said San Diego is a preacher's graveyard when they said there ain't no spirit filled churches over 300 when they said you need to understand there's no zoning for churches you need to understand that the the buildings are way too expensive and we're just about to buy building five and we're looking at 427 acres out in Campo I made a decision I made a decision if I'm, if I'm walking in the anointing, if I'm walking in the blessing of God, I don't have to bow my knee and I don't have to submit to natural laws. You can live above. This is, this is why we came and this is the word for you. This is the good news for you tonight. The good news is we can live above natural laws. No, the good news, which by the way, that's what the word gospel means. The good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. That's what the beginning portion of 1 Corinthians 15 actually says. That you don't have to live with limitations, with ceilings. I remember my mom when I was little saying how in her very thick German accent, life is a struggle. If you watch a baby being born, there's a struggle for the baby to be born. And then life is a struggle. And even death is a struggle. She says it's just a struggle all, all through life. You have negative people that say life is a blank and then you die. And T-shirts with fertilizer happens. And then they use the word fertilizer. <laughs> and people tell you that this is life. The problem is you and I live in a world that is constantly bombarding you with negativity. That's why it's so important to be in the house of God. That's why it's so important to be in the house of God. So the Old Testament was about what you do. The New Testament is about what you believe. The New Testament is about what you believe. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? When Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he came down. The Bible says there was a commotion and there was a man whose son had epilepsy seized by a demonic force. And this dark force, this violent force would would seize him and throw him into the water trying to drown him and and throw him into fire trying to burn him. His little boy's got got little burn scars all over him. And he he brought his boy to Jesus' disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out. So Jesus calls the boy to himself and the, the Bible says the father kneels down before Jesus. He's desperate. And he said, Lord, if you can do anything, please help my son. Watch Jesus' response. He says, if I can do anything, if I can do anything, let me tell you, Jesus knows he can do anything. But he says, it's not about if I can do anything. If you can believe. I know what I can do. I know what I can do. 
but my power flows towards those who believe. He says, if you can believe or think. Believe what? No, the guy said, prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He's twisting this text. Possible for him who believes. And the Bible says the man on his knees says to him, Lord, I do believe. Please help my unbelief. The reason you're the smartest people in San Diego is because you come to the house of God. Because I don't got to do nothing. I don't got to do nothing to get fear. I don't got to do nothing to get doubt. I don't got to do nothing to get unbelief. It is constantly spewed at me on the airwaves, on the television, the television, in the the media, right around the negativity and naysaying and doom and gloom and all the prophets of disaster, the master of disaster. All of that stuff is constantly being, I need to get into the house of God. I need to hear the word of God. I need to hear the promises of God so that my faith can rise. Do you know in the New Testament, in the New Testament, the the church were called believers. It wasn't until they got to Antioch that they were first called Christians. But even before and after that, the church was always called believers. We're believers. So, So even Abraham, Abraham, the Bible says in Romans 4, believed God. The Bible says that he didn't look at the... Right. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what Genesis 15 says. And that's what Romans 4 explicitly says in the context of being justified, declared righteous, saved, not by works, but by grace through faith as a gift. ...of his own body, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb being 90 years of age... That he believed God, for he counted God faithful, who had promised. So when they were young, no babies. Now that they are beyond bearing babies, God speaks to him, says, you're going to have a a son. Everything in his head, all the naysayers, all the biologists, all the doctors would have been saying to him, is impossible. You got rocks in your head. You're crazy. But Abraham made a decision. If God promised it, I'm going to believe it. If God, my job is to bring the promises of God. My job is to preach the word of God so you can bust the lid, so you can shatter the ceiling that is over your life, so you can live a life that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power at work in you. Yeah, a total botching of Ephesians 3, which is a benedictory thought to a prayer that Paul literally wrote out for us in Ephesians 3. So the New Testament is about believing, believing, believing. The Old Testament is about doing, doing. Now watch this. So I'm perplexed with this story because I'm like, God, this is, I don't understand this. How could this be you? Because Isaac is blind. He can't see. You're a God of vision. Are you trying to tell me that we can deceive you to get into heaven? God uses such powerful pictures. It's almost violent to the text. But once you see this, it's so magnificent. God says, oh, no, no, no. He says, it's the impossible exchange. See, this is what I know. You and I are Jacob. Jacob is born disqualified. How's he born disqualified? The blessing is for the firstborn. He wasn't the firstborn, he was the secondborn. The blessing is on the firstborn. He was born disqualified. 
David said, I was brought forth in iniquity. You and I were born with a sinful nature. We were born with... Yep, this is true. And this is so much truth mixed with so much error that you have to still flee a church like this. And a bias away from God. We were born disqualified. Second thing, Jacob does not have the correct covering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now he's working the typology properly at the moment. To approach the Father to receive blessing. Sinful man can't stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Indeed, this is true. So I do not have the right covering. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Yep. Again, true. On the cross, the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. So that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The third one is Isaac recognizes the voice. He says, the voice is Jacob's. The voice is Jacob's. In Australia right now, uh, the ATO, the Australian Tax Office, if you call to try and find out how much taxes you owe, you call the, the, the number and you don't speak to a human, you speak to a machine. But they get you to repeat this phrase. And the phrase is, uh, my voice identifies my identity. No, sorry, my voice identifies me. My voice identifies me. And they go, welcome, Jurgen Mathesius. Thank you. You may be intelligent, but you can't read, obviously. And, and it, it identifies me. Seven billion people, and every single, every single human being has a different voice print. So Isaac recognizes something fishy. Three times he asks, are you really, are you really, are you really? And this is where it gets powerful. Many years ago, I was on a plane and I just, I was just so impacted and so impressed. So with the Ark of the Covenant, so, so I drew a picture of the Ark and if we can throw that up on the, on the screen. So I drew this picture of the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says the Ark was uh, acacia wood overlaid inside and outside with gold. And then God gave Moses the instructions. He says, I want you to, to, to make two cherubim out of, out of one lot of gold that face one another over the mercy seat. This here is the mercy seat. And he said, and I will speak to you from between the cherubim. He says, and once a year on Yom Kippur, or the day of atonement, he says, the high priest is to go and take a lamb, one year old, perfect, without blemish, and sacrifice it on behalf of the people. And then he's to bring some of the blood and he's to go into the holy of holies. He's to go behind the veil into the very, very presence of the Almighty. And he's to come and he's to place the blood here on the mercy seat. And he says, and behold, when that happens, I will forgive Israel all their sins and I will remember their sins no more. And then he says to Moses, he says, and I will speak to you from between the cherubim, that's where my presence would dwell. And so, so as I'm on the plane, I just kind of drew the glory. And then I saw it was like a cross. And so I put Jesus on there. And then I began to see Jesus on the cross, a thief on the right, thief on the left. And there's a whole nother message in there I won't get into. But watch this. So I began to see the mercy seat. And I began to see the Ark of the Covenant. There are three items in the Ark of the Covenant. The first one is the Ten Commandments. 
The second one is the pot of manna. You know, the manna that came from heaven, the bread of heaven. The third one is Aaron's rod that had budded. And I thought, oh, they're the three things that God wants in our life. He wants, you know, his laws in our heart. And, you know, he, he wants us to trust him for provision. And, uh, and he's a God that wants us to trust his leadership. And absolutely those things are true. But God says, no, no, the reason that they're in there is because there were the three violations. There were the three disqualifications for the Israelites from entering into all that God had. Because before Moses even got to the bottom of the mountain, the Israelites had already broken the commandments and Moses had to smash them and then go back up for another 40 days and bring down a second set. And that's the one that's in there. They rejected his leadership. And so they had to bring, bring Aaron. So we have, a, we have this, this tendency to reject God's leadership over our life and become independent and rebellious and do things their own way. And he says, and then, as far as releasing God's supernatural provision, we withhold the tithe and we have a closed window over our lives. And But God says to me... So notice, he claims that this is an inspired interpretation. And no, the manna has nothing to do with the tithe. This guy has taken parts of Scripture that are true and mixed them with so much error that this is still a toxic, and I mean spiritually poisonous concoction when when the blood is there when the blood is there it satiates now watch this so esau is out hunting old testament law jacob comes in jacob is disqualified has insufficient covering and his voice gives him away but rebecca prepares the food she's like the holy ghost she prepares the food the way the father likes it and she, she gets some of the, 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 the skin of the sacrifice. She gets some of the skin of what's just been slaughtered. And she covers her boy. Because Jesus on the cross, on that cross, he made an exchange. He took your sin and my sin and he became sin. Yep, this is true. He made an exchange. He gave you and I his righteousness. That's why she went into the wardrobe and she pulled out Esau's clothing and she clothed him with Esau's clothing so that the father, the voice is Jacob's, but the smell is Esau, the smell of my son. Now, how, how can this be God? Because Isaac is blind. Isaac is blind. So I said, God, this can't be you because Isaac is blind. And God said, I set this whole thing up. It's a picture. The picture is this. That God will not see through the blood. God will not see through the blood. The Bible says the wages of sin is. Come on. The wages of sin is. The blood says somebody died. If, if, if you owed, if you had a bill. If you had a fine for $1,000 and then you go and pay the fine for that person and then come up to you and say, well, you know, you, you still owe me. I still think that you're, you're like, what are you talking about? There was a $1,000 fine and I've paid the $1,000. Get off my back. And if they keep, well, you know, no, 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 I, I had the, God is so perfect that once the fine is paid, it is forgiven. So God has instituted this incredibly powerful place where Jesus is not just the lamb, but the Bible says he's also the high priest. 
that when he died on the cross, he entered through the veil into the temple not made. Yeah, this is Hebrews, by the way, the book of Hebrews. So again, this part's true human hands and he went into the holy of holies in heaven this is all a shadow and a type of the 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 picture in heaven and he went to the very very mercy seat before the father and he put his blood there to cover our sin to cover our unrighteousness to to wash away our disqualifications so now whosoever believes in him if any man be in christ he's a new creation so that you and i in christ you and i in christ can now approach the father and even though you and i know that we are disqualified even though that you and I know that we sin, even though we know that we're jacked up, even though though we know that we're dysfunctional, even though that we know that we're broken, even though, though that we know that there's all kinds of issues in our life, because of Jesus, we can come before the Father, knowing that He recognizes our voice and that our voice disqualifies us. However, when we go before the Father, the blood of Jesus covers all... Cue sappy music, by the way. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to make to help them make decisions of some kind. All of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of our unrighteousness. So when God smells you, he smells the smell of his son. When God feels you, he feels the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, as type and shadow goes, this is not a bad way of working the story of Jacob and Esau. It... it perfectly fits with the gospel and with the idea that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Very good picture. It's all the other error that makes it so that this is still a sermon that everybody should avoid like the plague. When God observes you, he brings you in and you and I can have blessing because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did. Beware the preachers. To tell you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you've got to try harder. Or the preachers who say that you've got to tithe in order to break a curse. Uh-huh. For years I lived there. Listen to me. For years I lived there as a Christian. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew I struggled with this sin and this sin and this sin. And I'm like, God, I'm never going to lust again. When I looked at what Jesus did on the cross, when I watched the passion, I'm like, man, he went through all of that for me. That's it, Jesus. I'm never lusting again. Wow. Oh, man. And you'll hear preachers. Jesus died on the cross because of the sin of humanity. And how can you sin? No one. I'm going to let the cross be my fuel to try harder. The whole point is that you and I cannot produce. We can't produce. Somebody had to sacrifice. When you come believing for the impossible exchange, it snaps and breaks the power of sin over your life. Now watch this. Um, not exactly. We still have a sinful nature. You'd have to qualify that using biblical texts. I was talking to my handsome son last night. and He read a particular book by particular preacher who can be a little bit severe. He said, Dad, after reading the book, man, I felt like I wasn't even saved. And I said, you know, it's interesting. The Bible says through the first man, Adam, because of his disobedience, death came to all men. But because of the second Adam, Jesus, righteous, because of his obedience, 
righteousness and eternal life came to all men. When you read your Bible, you will find all the way through your Old Testament, they had to do sacrifices. Every seven weeks, there was pretty much a new sacrifice. Once a year, there was where the priest would go. And the sacrifices would just roll sins back until the sacrifice arrived, and that's Christ. It happened, had to happen every year. In fact, Moses said from God, this is to happen in all future generations. Because the sacrifice of a lamb, the sacrifice of a goat, the sacrifice of a bull was only ever temporary. Because the judgment was greater than the sacrifice. When Elijah went up onto Mount Carmel challenging the prophets of Baal, after they had had their turn and no fire came, the Bible says Elijah took the bull and he cut it into pieces. And then he placed it on the altar. And then the Bible says he poured water on it one time, poured water on it two times, poured water on it three times. And then he cried out to God. And the Bible says the fire of God fell from heaven, consumed the bull, consumed the wood of the altar and licked up all the fire. Why is that? Because the judgment was greater than the sacrifice. Until Jesus. Until Jesus. When Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was nailed to the cross, the Bible says the darkness came over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Darkness came over the whole land because God was extracting the sins of humanity, your sin and my sin, and placing it on His Son, Jesus. And then the Bible says at 3 p.m., Jesus on the cross cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was that, at that moment, for the first time in Jesus' life, he felt the separation. He felt the Father tear himself away because God cannot be yoked to sin. And so the Father turns his back on Jesus Christ. As the wrath of God comes upon Jesus' body on the cross. And Jesus in agony is on the cross. But watch this. He doesn't die there. He doesn't die until these words leave his lips. Once the full judgment and the full wrath of God comes upon Jesus. He says, it is finished. It was the first time in human history that the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. It was the first time in history the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. Yeah, as, as good as that sounds, that's a category he's created. Uh, the blood of bulls and sheep never could forgive our sins. Hebrews says that. To believe anything less is to say that Adam's sin, Adam's mess up in the garden is more powerful than Jesus' obedience, than Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' crucifixion. That's a lie from the pit of hell, my friend. I got to tell you what Adam lost in the garden. Jesus recovered on the cross. Jesus recovered on the cross. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the sinless. He is the blameless. He is the spotless. He is the righteous son of the living God. And he died on a cross in your place and my place so that in Christ... I can go before the Father. No 
knowing I'm disqualified, knowing my voice says that I was born disqualified, but I can go before the Father and because of the blood of Jesus, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my disqualification. Now, this is true. In fact, I would even argue we're hearing the gospel from Jürgen Mathesius. It's what it's all mixed with that makes this so dangerous. The gospel has become the bait on the hook for his prosperity heresy. All he sees is blessing. He reaches out his hand and blesses me. I don't deserve it. It's his goodness. This is his plan. This is his plan. This is the good news. This is what we preach. The impossible exchange. I'm going to heaven not because of me. I live in blessing, not because of me. I live in blessing. Yeah, but you just said you lived in blessing at the beginning of the sermon because you tithe. Mm-hmm. That's why the Bible says if you read Revelation, it says when they stand before Jesus, they take their crowns. The Apostle Paul says, man, I'm, I'm not far from departing. I know that my, my death is imminent. He says, and there is laid up for me a crown. God has got a crown for you being faithful. But then you fast forward to Revelation. The Bible says they're in front of Jesus, the Lamb. And the Bible says they bow their knee and they take their crowns and they cast their crowns before him. They cast their crowns before him because they know the only reason we were able to do what we did was because of you. That's why they sing the song of the Lamb. That's why we're so passionate. Oh, I don't think I like this church. They're all down the front, like all hyped up, aren't they? Look at them. They've got their hands lifted and they're jumping. I don't think you should be jumping in church, Marsha. I don't know if I agree with jumping in church. Oh, I think it's all hype, isn't it? Look at him. Look at him go. Look at him. When you see, when you recognize what Jesus did, when you recognize that you are disqualifying and because of what he did on the cross, because of what he did on the cross, The blessing of God, the favor of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God, the healing. Friend, there ain't nothing like him. There's nobody like him. Come on, one more time. Give God a great shout. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just thank him right now. Thank him right now. Call them to repentance now. Preach the law. Call them to repent of their idolatry of their blasphemy, of their dishonoring of their parents. Call them to repent for their murder, for their adultery, for their thieving, for their slander, for their coveting. Call them to repent and to trust in Christ and what he's done for them on the cross, that they are forgiven of all of these sins. Come on, take 10 seconds and just thank God for the impossible exchange. Thank him for the impossible exchange. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you. Lord, we exalt you. We bless you. Hallelujah. Stay standing. Stay standing. We're we're out of time. I'm going to have the band. All right. Yeah, I think you get the point. There was a lot of truth in there, and even the gospel. Mixed with so much error that, yeah, again, the only way I could describe it is, is that the gospel became the bait on the hook of the prosperity heresy 
that he preached earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still can't recommend C3 Church because all of that error is going to undo all of that truth. This is sadly true. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>